0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Tonic, heard Saturday afternoons at 1 on Zoomer Radio. The following is a sponsored program Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors.
1: You're running with friends, you're taking your kids to the park, so social, you know, such a key to happiness. But it's also sunshine is the happiness drug, right? So you get vitamin D, you get to be outside, you get fresh air. What's not invigorating about fresh air?
2: Welcome to the new and expanded 60-minute version of The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness-related issues. On today's show, we're going to discuss the natural treatment of flatulence. Then we're going to talk about the ins and outs of exercising outdoors. We're also going to learn what it's like to defend an accused murderer in a high-profile case. And lastly, we're going to hear all about hot yoga. But first, a bit of business. Today's sponsor is Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with that great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely Natural. Joel Thuna is a master herbalist and general manager of Purely Natural. He strives to improve the quality and natural products in the market and passes along his knowledge of herbal remedies through lectures and articles. Joel's a very entertaining and accessible writer, and today we're going to discuss his latest article in the summer issue of Tonic Magazine, all about something I'm somewhat familiar with, <laughs> flatulence. Good morning. How are you? I'm happy, and I can honestly say my son is looking
0: forward to me recording this one.
2: Yeah, my, my <laughs> entire family is mortified. They don't know what I'm going to say. So everybody farts, Joel. It's a fact of life. Death, taxes, and farts, I think, right? <laughs> Pretty much. But let's talk about the physiology of farts. What is a fart? What is flatulence? All kidding aside, which is difficult to do no, in this. No, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not,
0: <laughs> not moving aside the kidding. We're going to stay with it. Farts, flatulence, also known as passing gas, they're highly entertaining to children and highly embarrassing for everyone else. Yes. Passing gas in public, which is common for everyone, is unpleasant, awkward, and always
2: embarrassing. But
0: that being said, gas is a normal function of our body.
2: If you eat and you're alive, You have gas. I mean, sometimes it's an indication that you're not healthy, but in some respects, it's an indication that you're eating well, right? Oh, correct. Definitely because- That's my excuse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Most of the healthy foods out there have a component of them, fiber, and fiber in certain people in certain doses will cause gas. But for those who have- digestive or intestinal issues, the frequency goes up and the odor can also increase dramatically. For an average adult, you pass gas 15 to 20 times per
2: day. I've always thought of myself as being above average.
0: (laughs) (laughs) In this case, I don't know that that's a good thing. No production of gases such as methane, hydrogen and hydrogen sulfide and carbon dioxide are all naturally part of digestion and fermentation inside of the gastrointestinal tract. The production of small amounts of sulfur, right. the smelly compound that we find in garlic and onions, is natural to digestion also and is responsible for the foul smell of
2: flatulence. Right. It's all about the sulfur.
0: It's all about the sulfur. Rotten eggs are a very similar smell as well. Again, it's the sulfur compounds in it.
2: What are the causes of flatulence?
0: Well, as we said earlier, just being alive and eating causes flatulence. But in more specific terms, gas is regular and a natural part of your entire digestive tract. Mm -hmm. From your stomach through the small intestine, colon, and the rectum. There's gas in all parts at virtually all times. It's when the gas builds up in any specific area, that's when there's a problem. And that's when your body has to release it. Often when eating, we swallow air, especially when eating fast, drinking fast, gulping, or talking while eating. Overeating, eating while doing other things, which most of us are prone to, like watching TV, spending time on a computer or gaming, because you're not concentrating on eating. Right, I was going to ask you,
2: why? Why would that be?
0: What happens is when you're not concentrating on eating and it's not the primary activity, you tend to get more air. You also intend to change your
2: speed. Yep. And that causes increased gas. Now, I should tell our listeners that listening to the radio while eating is totally okay. Oh,
0: of course it is. Especially if you're
2: listening to the tonic. <laughs> of then, course. Then you're safe. Go on, sorry. Then it improves your health. Exactly. Drinking
0: carbonated beverages, of course, because it increases gas. But also alcoholic beverages. Really? Do that as well. Smoking, chewing gum, they all contribute to gas buildup. Now, all of the things I've said contribute to excess gas in your upper gastrointestinal tract. There's a different set that actually contribute to gas in your lower intestinal tract. And right. those are caused by eating too much of specific foods, the triggers we all know, beans, broccoli, fermented foods, etc and eating carbohydrates that are not fully digested. And we'll get into that a little more later. Yeah, These cause an overgrowth in bacteria in the small intestine and also can change the actual gut microbiome, which can lead to increased gas.
2: Gotcha. Okay. So in addition to sort of our intake or you know, taking too much air, taking too much gas and the types of foods that we ingest, there are conditions that might contribute to flatulence. Is that right? Yes. One of the big ones is type
0: 2 diabetes and digestive conditions such as celiac disease. On top of that, you have liver disease and inflammatory bowel disease. All of those do contribute to gas. And the way they contribute to gas is they actually change the gut microbiome and increase the level of bacteria in your gut that produce the gas itself.
2: So, so this is. these are examples of when flatulence is sort of uh, a warning flag, as it were, uh, that there may be something else wrong, right? Like if it's undiagnosed and you happen to be more flatulent, it may be because you have some of these illnesses. It's possible. It's not a guarantee. No, no, no. I know but
0: that. But that's a time definitely to have a chat with your doctor and say, hey, I'm experiencing more gas than I have before. Can I get a checkup and just see if there is something wrong Right. or the beginning signs of something wrong? Another thing is changing your diet. Just for example, about a year and a half ago, I went on a diet that restricted my foods rather dramatically Mm -hmm. and my gas level went through the roof for about a month and a half.
2: As your body was adjusting or was it Okay.
0: As the body adjusts, because what ends up happening, the components of my food change dramatically. My fiber increased dramatically, my vitamins increased dramatically, at the same time the amount of sugar be it natural or added to the foods, decreased dramatically. So what happens is by changing the actual content of the food I was eating, I was changing the microbiome and the bacteria in it. So that change, my body needed time to adjust. Additionally to that, you can have changes in your stress level. Yes. Changes in your weight will actually do that as well. Yep. And also moving geography. What do you mean by that? For example, when my family went to Asia, we spent about a month and a half in Vietnam and Malaysia. Oh, wow. We found food was great. Everything was wonderful. The water there was different. Uh Uh-huh. Even if we ate very similar to what we ate in Toronto, we found that just the water itself caused digestive changes.
2: Hmm. Who would have thought? Before we touched upon foods that lead to flatulence, so- you know, it may be as simple if you want it. If you find yourself uh, farting and you wanted to perhaps limit it, you were confident that you didn't have existing, pre-existing health issues. There are foods that we can avoid. Is that right? Definitely. Everyone
0: can. Every Everyone has found... At times, they just want to avoid something or
2: they want to increase something else. We're all like that. So for the listeners, why don't we, most obviously beans is an obvious one, right? You know, there's the whole whole rhyme that we're not going to (laughs) do. But other than beans, what else leads to flatulence?
0: Well, the, the first thing is to know that, yes, there are some that they do for everyone, but everyone also will have specific ones. Of course. Specific to them. For example, there's certain things that will cause you- I'm not
2: sharing what they are. <laughs> Let's just move on to the general, yeah. Joel. Well, be-
0: before we go there, I do want to make it known that as you age, your body changes in many ways, as we all know. Right. But your gut microbiome changes as well. Mm-hmm. So something that, say, five years ago or 10 years ago, you could eat a ton of and no issues, all of a sudden can cause problems. Just be aware of that and you might have to modify accordingly. Yep. But yes, there are ones that are for everyone. Beans, as you said, also lentils. The reason they are is they are rich in polysaccharides, which are fermented by gut bacteria, and that fermentation causes gas. You can reduce the amount of gas that you create by pre-soaking them mm-hmm. and what Combo. you do- Yep. You pre-soak them, and then you discard the water, though, and use fresh water, and most people find that that will resolve it. Right. I always pronounce this wrong, but I'm going to give it a shot. Cruciferous vegetables. Broccoli, cauliflower. Broccoli, cauliflower, kale, cabbage, and Brussels sprouts. All the stuff that's good for you. They're wonderful for you. They're great. Nutritionally, can't beat them. But they cause more gas than most other vegetables because of the specific types of fiber they contain and also the fact that they all naturally contain sulfur. Ah. So you're adding sulfur to begin with. Right. They cause greater gas production when they're eaten raw versus cooked. So enjoy them cooked. You still get tons of benefit. And there you go.
2: And roasted cauliflower and roasted broccoli. There's millions of recipes out there. They're easy to do. And you're still getting the the nutritional value. Now, obviously, when you're cooking any vegetable, some of the vitamins are going to leach out. But, you know, quick cooks and roasts are going to maintain a lot of the integrity of the vitamins you're going to eat.
0: Oh, definitely. The other thing you want to make sure of, if it started out dark green. Make sure it ends dark green as well.
2: (laughs) Don't cook it to death.
0: Correct. Dairy products are a huge problem for many people. And as we age, it becomes a greater concern for even more people. And this is all due to a sugar contained in them called lactose, which very, very, very common to be difficult to digest. There are enzymes you can do to help with that, right. but for a lot of people, just stick to different types of milks as opposed to dairy.
2: Um, my father was lactose intolerant, actually, which is a more extreme version of what you're talking about, and obviously, there's sort of like a sliding scale. For him, really, he couldn't have any, mm-hmm. but I know there's a lot of people who, if they have goat milk as opposed to cow milk, it can provide some relief, and also, if they're having fermented dairy products like kefir or yogurt, oh, yes. they tend to do better with it than, you know... Scarfing down the ice cream or the butter.
0: Correct. And there's a lot of people in my family, I know this from personal experience, that can have dairy products, just not milk itself. Ah. Milk itself causes a problem, but dairy products are fine. So in
2: my house, for example,
0: we don't have milk.
2: Everybody's different. But yeah, sorry, go on. I I digress.
0: (laughs) Join the club. (laughs) Foods that are high in fiber, such as whole grains and bran, can increase intestinal gas due to the fiber itself being fermented in the digestive system. The way to get around this is don't stop eating them because they're healthy for you. Of course. Just add them slowly and don't go haywire. Don't go off the deep end and have half a loaf of bread one day.
2: I would say this. There's always too much of a good thing, but you don't want to cut out something like fiber because it's so important to your digestion. Correct?
0: Definitely. We, we suggest, and most nutrition experts suggest, having a fiber-rich diet with varied f- sources of fiber, including of supplementing with fiber every day as well. Okay. Fructose is a sugar that causes a huge amount of problems for a lot of people. And one of the main reasons it causes problems is that it's everywhere. Right. It's naturally occurring in healthy foods. Most fruits, most vegetables have it. The sweeter the fruit, the more fructose is in it. But that's not where most of the problem occurs. Most of the problem occurs in finished products that have it as an ingredient. For example, anything that has corn syrup, maple syrup, high fructose corn syrup, jams, jellies, any of those, they tend to be bigger problems. And it's because in the small intestine, the fructose just overwhelms Your digestive system, and some of it just can't be digested, so it causes the bacteria to go into overload, and you have excess gas. Sugar-free foods, all the artificial sweeteners, all of them cause digestive complaints, and all of them cause excess gas.
2: And they should be cut out, because really, who needs
0: them? You don't need them. There's enough other options. And carbonated beverages. That one makes sense. Obvious. Now, for a certain section of the population, there's an even wider list, and that list is called the FODMAP list. And FODMAP is an acronym that stands for fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. Mm. It was created for people who have digestive concerns, celiac, IBS, and Crohn's, colitis, etc. Yes. An extensive list is available at FODMAPliving.com. Very helpful. Which I couldn't go through the list. Too many to
2: go through the list right now. But for our listeners, please do go visit that website. And it'll help with those. Fantastic. All right. So we only have time for one more little area before we go. What are some things that we can do to reduce flatulence other than reducing the types of foods that make us fart?
0: Yep. Well, that's the first thing, obviously. Know what causes it to you. Reduce them. Two, take activated charcoal. Every day, activated charcoal actually absorbs some of the gas in your digestive tract, traps it, and helps you expel it without causing flatulence. Great. Take digestive enzymes. Take a broad spectrum digestive enzyme blend that can help you digest properly. Yep. Beans, if you're going to take beans, take the enzyme found in Beano.
2: Yep. It works. And also there's kombu, which you can cook, which is a Japanese vegetation. I think it's a seaweed. And if you cook the beans with kombu, it reduces the gas. Correct. Add a squeeze of lemon
0: to your water as opposed to anything sugary. Yep. Sip herbal tea after your meal. Ideally, mint or chamomile or ginger. They all help with digestion. Probiotics. Take probiotics every single day Mm -hmm. with every single meal. (laughs) Period. Take fiber supplement, but use soluble fiber, not insoluble. Soluble will slow your digestion, help your body digest better, Mm -hmm. and add chlorophyll, ideally one with activated charcoal, to your drinks throughout the day. And you'll find that that helps with your digestion and with actually absorbing some of the gas naturally in your intestines.
2: Joel, thank you for coming in today and explaining everything that we should know about
0: farts. No problem. I want to end with just one thing. Yeah. Farting is inevitable. Don't hold it in. Just try and be a little more subtle.
2: (laughs) We've got to take a break, but you'll be back later this summer to discuss more health issues, right? Always. It will be my pleasure. We'll be right back on The Tonic. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto group seeks out the finest urban neighbourhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency and comfort and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit TheBenvenuto.com. Are you recently retired? Do you own your own home? Are you looking for funds to pursue a passion project? To renovate your home, or finally to go on that European vacation. A loan from Home Equity Bank can help. A CHIP reverse mortgage is a tax-free lifetime loan for up to 55% of a home's value, available to Canadians age 55 or older who own their home with a minimum property value of $150,000. Funds from a reverse mortgage can be taken out in a lump sum, scheduled payments, or both. And remember, A homeowner who takes out a chip reverse mortgage will never owe more than the fair market value of their home. Check out homeequitybank.ca for more information.
3: This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio.
2: Welcome back. Our next guest, Kathleen Trotter, is a fitness expert, nutritionist, life coach, monthly guest on BT Montreal and Rogers Ottawa, and author of the book, Finding Your Fit, Welcome back to the show.
1: Ah, it's my pleasure. I'm ready to kill this segment. You're gonna- have some fitness fun.
2: <laughs> so hearty, real Canadians exercise outdoors all the time. They snowshoe, they build igloos, and they run around outside. <laughs> I have Nicole. never
1: built an igloo. Neither I guess I. I'm not a real Canadian. No,
2: the rest of us, the rest of us wait for the warm weather to get outside. I do you love the warm weather? And now that it's here we should really discuss the ins and outs of exercising outdoors. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I love it, especially because running is my absolute bliss. So, oh, I'm soaking up the sun. Why
2: why should we exercise
1: outside? Well, you know, when you get to go outside, often it's more social. You're playing a sport, you're running with friends, you're taking your kids to the park. So social, you know, such a key to happiness. But it's also sunshine is the happiness drug, right? So you get vitamin D, you get to be outside, you get fresh air. What's not invigorating about fresh air? The problem is is that it can also be really, really hot. Yeah. So, and for a lot of us, that's not great. I'm actually not great in the sun. So, although I love being outside and I love exercising outdoors, one of my absolute favorite things is to take my bike to the country and go biking. I actually make sure that my intense workouts are done pretty early in the morning before the sun comes out. And then when the
2: sun comes out, I'm like, ah, it's book time. Well, you're fair... Yeah, yes, I'm very fair, and I burn very easily. And I'm bald. So both okay, of us so well, both of us need to watch the sun.
1: We need hats and sunscreen.
2: yeah. The, the thing is for me, I know the temperature at which I can work outside, and if it's anything above, I actually don't have the energy to get through it. So for yeah. me, it's 24 Celsius. If, yeah. it, if it gets to 25 or 26, I really have to watch what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, I think it's so key to down. do
1: you with everything, right? Like, yeah. and you know, and this temperature you can handle is going to be different in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s and your 50s. It'll be different. You know, it just very, you know, it changes. And so yeah. just be aware of that and be conscientious to stop before you feel sick. Like, that's the key thing is listening to your body and knowing who you are. And if you go out, like I've been out running a couple times. I remember last summer and I was just, I felt like, oh, this is not healthy. So I turned around, I went back and I got on the treadmill. You know, there's, no, you don't have to be a hero. Don't put yourself at risk just to be able to be like, oh, I did my workout. Well, you can do your workout inside if you need to. Or as I said, try going in the morning or later at night, you know, after dinner, say to your partner, okay, let's go for a walk and it's cooler and you still get to be outside and social. You get all the benefits without the negatives.
2: True. You know, to my mind, one of the true positives of of working outside is it's inexpensive. You know, we go totally and it's
1: very accessible.
2: We go to these gyms, which essentially are mimicking. Yeah, it's so funny. Right. The movements and the things that you would do outside, right? So you're running on a treadmill. Well, wait, you could run Run outside. outside. Absolutely. So it's also inexpensive because then you're not going to the gym.
1: Yeah, and I love the accessibility of it because if you're on vacation, you can go for a run and see the sights. You can go for a walk. It's a great way if you're traveling to make sure that you stay active, you know, making sure you're getting, you know, steps in. It's so easy if you're in a cool place to go walk around and see all the sights and then you end the day and you're like, oh, I was actually really active today. But the important thing is to make sure you don't end the day and be like, oh, I'm really active and I have a crazy ass burn right now, right? So wear your sunscreen, wear your hat, make sure you're wearing sunsafe clothing and make sure you're staying hydrated. I think one of the key things is to um, not let yourself get thirsty. So always start a workout hydrated and always make sure to starve off that thirst. So, you know, drink before you get thirsty.
2: There are running routes back when I was running where I'd make sure I was passing by a water fountain because you just never know when you're going to sort of overdo it and, and have to hydrate. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, I always run with a water belt, but I also always run with uh, like $5 in my running belt. So if I need to take the subway home or stop and buy a bottle of water, I can, and right. especially in the summer sometimes that'll happen. I'm like, okay, I'm you know, I've drank all the water I have with me. Time for more.
2: Well, but, let's talk about let's okay, okay. So we're we're on safety now. So let's talk about the things that like if you're going to go work out outside, What should you be thinking of taking with you and how should you prepare?
1: Well, for sure, water and water before you go, not just when you're going. And keeping in mind that everyone's need for how much water is going to be very different depending on how much you sweat, how much you weigh, how active you're being. So... You know, I like to say to my clients, monitor your urine. It's not a very sexy thing to say, but it's very true. Yep. So if you if your urine is bright yellow, well, you very much need some water, whereas if it's sort of pale. Yep. So that's, again, that, that idea of doing you and know how much you need and monitor it. So if you go out one day and you feel really crappy afterwards and exhausted, and then you look at your urine, you're like, oh, okay, well, I wasn't hydrated enough. So that's sort of a way that you can tailor it to you. Yep. And know that if you're going to be out for over an hour, you probably need... Need some type of sodium or sports drink, especially if you're out for an intense hour. Under an hour, water is pretty good, yep. but you want to make sure that you have that sodium. And if you don't want to buy a sports drink, you can make like just take some water and put a little bit of juice in it and a little bit of salt, and that mimics a sports drink.
2: The electrolytes. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so that's hydration. Now you know sometimes I'll work out in the mornings or the evenings. Yeah, just
1: that's be- safer because right. you're, it's
2: not crazy heat. Right. And when I do that, you have to make sure you're visible, right? If you're oh, working out outside. You I didn't outside.
1: even think about that. Yeah. You're a freaking genius. I am a genius. You are a genius.
2: So when I go out running, I make sure, you know, and, and a lot of, you know, running gear or stuff that's made for outside has the reflective mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah I have a great
1: jacket that has reflective stuff on it. My mom actually bought it for me for Christmas a couple of years ago. Well, she was go. very
2: worried. Yes. So. And then, of course, if you're talking about safety, footwear, you know, like if you're just getting outside. You have to make sure that your treads are proper for the surface that you're working on and that your shoes aren't worn out and that you're... Again, you you
1: know, when I was preparing for this interview, I didn't even think about footwear, but it's really important because a lot of people will go on long walks in sandals. I actually had a client come in yesterday and she'd really hurt one of her calves. She couldn't figure out why. And we're having this discussion. And finally, it came down to she'd gone for like a 25 minute walk in flip flops. Terrible for your feet. You're not supported. And I actually just changed my running shoes and had to take them back because they sold me men's shoes they were like oh they're the same as women's but it turns out that the heel is slightly wider so my heel was sort of moving side to side and I was getting terrible hamstring cramps so it's amazing how much what you wear on your feet can really impact how your
2: body feels and you must wear socks you you know whatever you're doing it's going to wick away the sweat number one and number two, it's going to provide cushioning that you probably need if you're doing any sort of high-impact stuff. Absolutely, yeah.
1: Yeah, so make sure your running shoes are fitted to you, and make sure if you're walking, a lot of people will be like, oh, I don't need running shoes, I'm just quote-unquote walking. Wrong. But wrong, absolutely. Just wrong, period. No explanation needed. You still need supportive shoes.
2: Okay, so we, we've gone over safety. Let's talk about the types of venues For that, you, sure. that you can work out outdoors.
1: Yeah, I love it because you can have so much fun outdoors in the summer. Yeah. So you can join an outdoor boot camp. I was running this morning around Christie Pitts, and, you know, I saw this great group of 30 people doing an outdoor boot camp. I've done those. Super fun, right? Uh, But you can also do a boot camp to yourself, for yourself. So, for example, walk or jog to a park and then use some of the stuff that's there. So, you could do sprints up a hill, and yep. then walking lunges. Do like a little superset. So do one sprint and then some lunges. You could do, find a flat part of the park and do sprints and then lunges or squats. You could find a park bench. You could do step-ups. You could do push-ups. You could do dips. If you're just going for a walk, you can carry a TheraBand with you, which is light and it sort of, you can actually just tie it around your waist. I know you'll look like a total dork, but own the dorkness. You'll be fit. Yep. And then once you're at the park, tie it around a tree, do some rows, Stand on it do some biceps if you want to go totally crazy go to the park and use the swing and you know put your forearms on the swing and do a plank use the monkey bars like really the world is your fitness oyster and you can do so much with just your body weight and a park or some grass
2: and and there's even some parks that actually have sort of built-in fitness equipment it's getting
1: more and more popular to do that
2: it's very cool all right so that's parks lots of people go up to the cottage and hang out by the lake so what advice do you have there
1: well, it's all about having fitness fun, and the water is a great place to have low-impact cardio, and especially if you know, you're going to the cottage on the weekend, and during the week you're doing more impact stuff. It's a great alternative. So you can use a combination of your dock deck, sort of, and the water. So you could get in the water, and you could do intervals. So you could do 30 seconds of really intense treading water, and then 30 seconds of light. You could do, if you have safe Swimming, you can do some laps, and then you could get out. And then on the dock, you could do V sits, you could do planks, you could do squats, you could do jumping jacks. You could bring a skipping rope if you want. So sometimes when I'm at the cottage, I actually bring a rope and some weights, and I'll do a combination of skipping and weights on the dock. And then I take off my running shoes, I jump in the water, and I do a bunch of stuff in the water. I might have a pool noodle, and then on the noodle, you can try to stand on it and balance. You can take it in your hands and sort of push it away in and out to work your upper body. you can do some like sort of straddling it and doing some like bike kick stuff. Yep. So, you know, I really, really believe in making fitness fun and finding variety. So if you always do the same thing in the city, being at the cottage is a great way to mix things up. You know, you can go for a run at the cottage. You can go for a bike ride. You can get your kids involved. You could create some type of challenge where you're like, okay, whoever makes it to 20,000 steps today gets, I don't know, whatever, some type of treat or gets to pick the movie at night or whatever, you know, go take the baseball and the ball out and play some catch. Um, I'm not saying don't sort of relax on on the dock, but it doesn't have to be just relaxing. You can have some fun as well.
2: Right. We we'll only have a few more minutes, but okay. we should talk about. Oh my a God, few we evenings.
1: need like an hour and a half together, uh, Jamie. An hour and a half.
2: We do. If you're going to go in the water, yes. uh, Always, you know, remember you you still need to hydrate. You're still yes. exercising. Remember? That's
1: a really good point.
2: Also, if you're going to go in the water, make sure somebody's there and yes. knows you're in the water. Yes. Make sure there aren't any currents. Yes. Uh, make sure that you know if it's a sharp bottom, you're wearing shoes. Absolutely. Also, you know, your mom used to tell you this, but I don't do any exercise and I don't go in any water unless there's an hour after I've eaten a meal.
1: Well, and also alcohol. Yeah. So that goes with even if you're not in the water, but be careful, obviously, swimming if you've been drinking. But just in general, exercising with alcohol, it's going to change your feeling in the heat. So it's important to make sure that you haven't drank too much when you're exercising in the heat. And definitely when you're getting in the water, you know, be safe. Safety
2: first. For sure. And, and, you know, also with the cottages, we only only have a little bit of time. But when you're going out in the cottage and you're going to go run, make sure somebody knows that you're going out for a run. Yes,
1: and bug spray. Bug spray. Oh, my God. I've been on so many runs where I've had to turn back because i'm like i am being eaten by bugs this is no longer fun
2: and you actually want to stay on paths because i made the mistake of going off paths (gasps) Did you get eaten by a bear no but i did get a wicked case of poison ivy Ah. and once you get it each time you get it it becomes more intense the last time i actually got poison ivy i had to take steroids it got so bad so when you're up north just make sure of your surroundings yeah very true all safe safety first for sure. Well, thank you for coming uh, in this my morning. My pleasure. We'll hear back from you later this summer with more fantastic fitness advice. I would
1: love to be here.
2: We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on the tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor Purica. Purica wants you to turn its protein into your power. A blend of the finest vegan protein and the antioxidant powerhouse that is the pure chaga mushrooms. Purica Power features ingredients and enzymes designed to optimize digestion and absorption. Unlike many protein powders, Purica Power tastes great with water and mixes easily. It's available in chocolate, vanilla, and natural unflavored. From the Purica family to yours, Purica Power is a new way to make the most of every day. It's all part of the Purica commitment to making a positive difference in the lifestyle of its customers. Ask your favorite health food store for Purica Power vegan protein. Or visit Purica.com. Purica. Nature. Science. You. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com.
3: You're listening to The Tonic on Zoomer Radio.
2: My next guest, Boris Bytensky, is a criminal lawyer with CrimLawCanada.com, a.k.a. Batensky Pucci Schickman. He's an adjunct professor at Osgoode Law School, treasurer of the Criminal Lawyers Association, father of three, and long suffering Leaf and Raptor fan. He also happens to be recently appointed defense counsel for the accused in the North York van driving attack. Welcome to the Tonic, Boris. Happy to be here. I wanted to bring you on. And, you know, we've touted this segment as what it's like to defend somebody who's accused of a high-profile murder. But, you know, we're not going to be talking about the case today. We're going to be talking about, really, what it's like to be a criminal lawyer today, particularly when there's a high-profile case. Sure. Are you with me? Of course. Let's start at the beginning, and the, and the big question is, you know, what's the hardest part of defending somebody in a, in a high-profile case like this?
4: Well, most people will think that the hardest part is dealing with you know, people's opinions and the fact that some people are going to feel uncomfortable with the nature of the allegations. Frankly, the hardest part of defending somebody who's charged with any serious crime is the fact that their life is in your hands. So the stress that you have, or at least that I have, is knowing that there's so much at stake for my client. All the rest of it is easy to put aside. I mean, it's just all background noise. But when you know that your client's liberty, and perhaps for the rest of his life, depends on what you do,
2: that, that's pressure. And that's the hardest part of dealing with any serious crime that I defend. I only dabbled in criminal back when I was practicing. But, you know, even when you're doing civil litigation, when somebody comes to see their litigator, not just a lawyer, but a litigator, things aren't good. You know, e- right. either they're being charged with a criminal offense or they're in the middle of some issue that's important enough that they need to bring a lawyer in, like their business or some regulatory matter or somebody owes them money. So they're never really happy with the situation. So immediately you're dealing with a stressful situation. And then the process itself adds to that stress. Right? Absolutely.
4: And one of the things that you realize really early on in your legal career as a criminal lawyer is that there is no such thing as a very small case because right. while it's a small case for me, perhaps in relation to some of the other uh, clients that I may have, somebody charged with a minor offense still has a great deal of stress that for them, the world is turned upside down. And so it's incredible about how much pressure that they put on you, regardless of the fact that it may not be as, as difficult a case as some of the others you'll do. So you realize right away that every single client has basically the same problem, just a difference of the charge that they're facing. Right.
2: And, and obviously very few people are charged with attempted murder, you know, but even having a criminal record of any sort can impact your ability to earn money going forward, socially, economically, there's all kinds of impact from from being in the system, right?
4: Absolutely, and there's so many social pressures that people have. Like, if you have a job with no prior record, the majority of the clients we represent are strangers to the legal system. We don't have uh, people who are in and out of jail on a regular basis typically. Most of our clients are those who experience criminal law for the first time. So it's a a massively different thing that they've ever seen before. Most people are employed, most people have jobs and careers, and these are all of a sudden now jeopardized by the situation
2: they face. You and I started practicing law many moons ago before social media Media before cell phones. Let's talk about how technology impacts the practice and in particular litigation. Let's start with social media, which I find fascinating.
4: Well it's fascinating and also it's it's exhausting because we spend so much time, or at least I do, trying to figure out what everybody else is thinking about, not so much because I care about my cases, but just in trying to keep up with general knowledge and try to keep up with what the community is talking about. So there's definitely information overload in my view it takes up much of my time that otherwise could be spent on myself doing other things that probably better for me but there's just very little downtime now that in comparison to what we used to be
2: and you know I think it's the same not just for lawyers but for all business people I, I publish a magazine which is an endeavor which helps people advertise obviously you know their businesses and their services that they provide but the social media has required everybody to be their own advertising agency 24/7 yeah uh, I agreed and so that's why one aspect. So there's no downtime. And another device that sort of impacts that is is the cell phone, right? Well, the cell
4: phone is the worst thing that ever happened to criminal lawyers or really to any lawyers because it used to be you can compartmentalize your time and, and use your work time as your work time and as your personal time. Sometimes, obviously, you have to do work during that time, but you can get away. You can spend time with your family. You can spend time at the gym doing whatever you need to do to make your life complete. Now, there's really no time that the clients can't reach you. Everybody knows that I have a cell phone. Everybody knows what my cell phone number is, and if it's 11 o'clock at night and you have a question about your case, uh, I think our norms have changed from what they used to be 20 years ago. It's no longer taboo to pick up the phone and call your lawyer late in the evening just because you have a question. I don't think that people would have thought to do that uh, long ago. I think there was a much greater
2: respect for personal time. That's seeped away. I don't think personal time exists anymore. No. Uh, You know, I deal with a lot of entrepreneurs in respect of this show, in respect of the magazine and the live events that I put on. And, you know, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll check my emails. In bed, which of course you know means that my workday starts even earlier than it used to. But I'll check the emails; they're being sent at three in the morning. They're being sent at four in the morning, and I'm thinking it's gotten to the point where we can't even get a good night's sleep, and that's got to impact your ability to do your job, particularly if it's high stress.
4: Sure. And then of course there's the expectation when you send the three o'clock email that somebody's going to respond to that by seven. Right. Right? It's one thing if you leave me a message because you happen to be up at three and you're expecting a response whenever. Right. But you know it's nine o'clock. I haven't responded, and my clients calling me and saying, I, I sent your message, well, you know, you haven't gotten back to me. And my thought is, all I've had time to do is get up, take a shower and drive my kids to school. Why are you expecting me right. to have a response to you this quickly?
2: And, and you know, that quick response harkens back to social media, yes. where the people that I know that are, are savvy in social media or who use it as a tool for their business, it requires you to be on top of it all the time, right. because it's really easy for somebody in the privacy of their own home to make some sort of nasty comment or to start misinformation, you know, sometimes you're obliged to respond to it. And I think, I would presume, in the context of criminal law, it's troubling. You know, there are aspects of Me Too, even, sure. that are troubling in terms of people's expectation of how the legal system works, and, you know, this yearning for immediate justice in response, you know? <laughs>
4: yeah, absolutely. And it's a slightly separate so- uh, subject, but I mean, lawyers, criminal lawyers specifically, are really bad at social media. Yeah. Most of us don't pay attention to it very much. Because I mean, they the,
2: think it's superfluous,
4: right? Like, Agreed, and I think th- those of us who tend to go on social media for the most part are doing it because of interest as opposed to because of some professional obligation or because of any kind of business development and marketing reasons. So I don't know that we use it quite the same way that other people do, but you're right. Things like me too, the only advice I'd give to people if you're dealing with social media is usually it's best to say nothing. It's usually best to just, you know, step aside and let other people throw arrows at each other because really very little good can come of anything that you're going to say most of the time.
2: I think the real danger, and maybe you feel differently about this. There used to be experts, and I know you're one of them, who comment on the law. And my view is you really have to be legally trained if you're going to comment on a case. My experience was, even when it was being written about in the Globe and Mail or we see it on TV, if you didn't have that legal background, you weren't necessarily getting the nuances of the case. Now everybody's an expert. exactly, And now everybody has an opinion. And I think people don't understand the difference between opinion and fact. Nor do they understand the difference between opinion and educated opinion.
4: True. but and, and the way I look at it is I think it's very important to try to educate people, but I think it's not so important to try to educate them one at a time. If you have something to say, somebody in my my position, for example, or others who comment on the law, I, I have no difficulty talking about what I think people should know about. When somebody may respond to that, I just don't think it's helpful to respond one by one through social media to try to address every potential criticism, what I might say or what the legal issue might say. So we'll do it in general, but let's not spend the time to go one by one because that's just going to devolve into nothingness.
2: Are you getting any blowback for
4: representing the client that we mentioned at the top of the show? No. In fact, the response that I've received has been exceptionally fair. I think everybody realizes the importance of defense lawyers in any high-profile case, in any unpopular case, to... To do their job our our system of criminal justice doesn't work if we don't have all sides represented fairly. And at the end of the day, whether it's this case or any other case I'm involved with, the only real objective is to ensure that the trial is fair. Whatever the verdict is, if it's based on evidence that's been gathered and presented fairly with the ability to test it properly through a fair trial, that's that's justice. And some might not like the result. It may not be popular one way or the other. But our criminal justice system depends on the ability to say this was a verdict achieved through a fair trial.
2: Okay, so let's talk about you and the, and the- everyday practice now and the stresses that you feel. You mentioned the issue about liberty. You know, you're dealing with very important stuff, right? Right. You you know, you're not making supper for somebody. You're dealing with their ability to be free. How else does it impact you? You know, when I was litigating, sometimes I'd be pulling 24-hour shifts. Are are you still doing that?
4: Not often, thankfully. It happens sometimes. Criminal law is a kind of work, I think, that if you don't love it, you can't do it well. I think that's true for a lot of jobs, but I think this one in particular. So the demands are high. And the stress can be very, very taxing if you're not loving what you do. So I became a criminal lawyer, not right out of the gate. I, I spent some time doing work on Bay Street. And frankly, I fell into criminal law because it was just so interesting and it just captured me. So- And I'm,
2: there's less paperwork.
4: And there's less paperwork, although that's changing. So you do it because you love it. That motivates you to keep working when it's late at night and when it's uh, you know short deadlines and so on. So you have to love what you do and it's challenging, but it's also very rewarding because you're dealing with people who really appreciate your effort, much more so in my uh, line of work than in some others. So I have staff. When you get a big case like this, it's important to budget your time to make sure that you're not leaving things to the last minute and to try to keep as organized as possible. The bigger the case, the bigger the challenge to try to make sure that everything is handled uh, from day one in a way that uh, doesn't leave you scrambling at the time of the trial.
2: Back when I was practicing and I was down on Bay Street as well, the difficulty was sort of maintaining the family balance between work. And how do you find that as a criminal lawyer? Is, is it a challenge?
4: It is. And I think what ends up happening is you you lose all those people that you were kind of good friends with, but weren't great friends with. And so when you're growing up and you're young and you don't have your career completely in bloom yet, you have many friends, many acquaintances. And as you become more experienced and your kids start start taking a bigger chunk of your time, then you keep your close friends and you start, you know, you lose contact with everybody else. That's what happened in my life. And it's very unfortunate because there's many great people that I wish I could see more often. So that's what ends up suffering with me. And in my my, a particular situation I do things like you know go to the gym less often take care of myself not as well as I should and these are all things that I can't really forget about and now that I'm 50 my wife's reminding me uh, on a regular basis that I yeah. gotta make time, sure i time's, take care Times of those running
2: things. out buddy <laughs> Yeah, exactly
4: so you know I gotta make sure I get to 60
2: well thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come and chat it's a pleasure we'll have it's to have you back again. again I'm here anytime you want me we've got to take a short break but when we return we're gonna hear all about hot yoga on the tonic
5: And
3: now the Soul Segment with spiritual medium, transpersonal therapist and teacher, Lisa Marvin. Through her use of tarot cards, your questions about love, money and career are sure to be answered. Thank you for joining me for Soul Segment. This week, we'll be focusing on love and interpersonal relationships using the tarot cards. The first card that we're looking at is the Knight of Pentacles. This position, is the energy that has brought you to where you are now. In our numerology, nines deal with the ending of one cycle and the beginning of a new cycle on a higher level. Pentacles deals with emotional and spiritual fulfillment, as well as security. The Knight of Pentacles means that not only have you ended one cycle of your emotional side, but you really made quite a big change. This change has affected the way that other people see you and the way that you see the world. This brings us to where you are now. The Emperor card is telling you that if you're feeling as though you need to take action in a personal situation, this is the perfect time. The Emperor gives you personal power. It gives you strength and the confidence that you need to get to where you want to be. The final card is what's gonna carry you into the future. The Eight of Pentacles is about mastering your craft But in this position, it's really about mastering how you view love and your own feelings. It will take some time and maybe a bit of work. But with your newfound confidence, you are sure to get to where you want to be. Thanks for listening, and I'm looking forward to connecting with you again next week. This has been the Soul Segment with Lisa Marvin. To contact Lisa with your questions, please visit metaphysique.ca.
2: The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighbourhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighbourhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa.
3: You're listening to The Tonic on Zoomer Radio.
2: My next guest is Rochelle Winson. She's the founder of Chi Junkie Yoga Studio. She's the resident yoga expert on CTV's The Social, a regular instructor at OMTO, and she's contributed an article all about hot yoga for the summer issue of Tonic Magazine. Welcome to The Tonic.
5: Thank you so much.
2: You know, when we originally set up this interview, we knew it was going to come after OMTO this year, mm-hmm. and we were gonna, I was going to do this big intro about what a hot, beautiful, sunny day we had so that you could talk about <laughs> hot yoga. How much rain came down while we were teaching. It
5: was a little bit of a downpour. It was
2: a lot of it. It was, <laughs> it was a
5: wet yoga class. <laughs> it was
2: three hours of rain for an outdoor yoga event. So we're gonna pretend. We're gonna do a little make believe today. Okay. We had a hot sunny day. Oh, Did it we, was Michelle?
5: It was fantastic. It was awesome. <laughs>
2: and you're here to talk about hot yoga as if we were doing it outside in the middle of the sun because you mm-hmm. actually had the midday spot, right? Yeah. So what is hot yoga? What's the theory behind it?
5: Yeah. So hot yoga essentially is doing your yoga practice in a heated room, or if it's the summer months and you're outside on a beach, it's just really doing your yoga practice in that heat.
2: And there are different ways that you can get to
5: that heat, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Obviously, just practicing outside on a hot summer day. Also, what we probably know hot yoga most as is just being in a heated room. And the different types of heat is infrared, which is my favorite. Infrared heat, there's so many amazing benefits. It's anti-inflammatory. So if you are working out and you feel that lactic acid, the soreness, it helps to really flush all that out so it can be treated like an active recovery. So many health benefits benefits, the number one being that inflammation, anti-inflammatory effect, and really flushing out toxins, lymphatic drainage. So your yoga practice alone has numerous health benefits, but add in that infrared heat, and it really just takes it to that next level.
2: The idea with the hot yoga is it's mimicking the way yoga was practiced back in India, yes. because they practice outdoors in the yep. sun and the heat. Yep. It doesn't stop them from doing exactly.
5: it. exactly. And so hot yoga came to be through Bikram right. and the founder of Bikram Yoga. Right. And he created the artificial heated room because it mimicked that of his practice in the 1970s of practicing in India when it's coming up to about 38 degrees, 40 degrees even.
2: And, and for those who know a little bit about yoga, obviously, there's a controversy around Bikram right mm-hmm. now. Yes. A little bit of a Me Too moment yes. where there were some serious allegations mm-hmm. that he was abusing his position as head of a yoga movement yep. with a lot of the people that were teaching under him. So that's the bad part. Yes. But the good part is it doesn't negate gate from the truth or the health benefits of the actual yep. yoga itself, right? Yep,
5: absolutely. And, you know, that aside, yoga in the heat, there are so many amazing health benefits, but there are also quite a few things to watch out for.
2: Of course. So why don't, why don't we start? What's a concern that you might have practicing hot yoga?
5: In the heat, your body becomes a lot more malleable. In other words, a lot more open. So you can really go a little bit deeper and access these poses. Your body just becomes pretty limber in that
2: heat. That's a good thing.
5: That's a good thing. Now, when it becomes not a great thing is if you don't Have the body awareness or the capability to really know when to push and when to pull back. If you're constantly in that push mode and you really feel your body opening and you go deeper and deeper, once your body returns and contracts and goes back into regular temperature, it can actually provoke injury if you've gone and pushed too far, which you might not feel in the heat at the time. But when your body goes back to your regular day, maybe a few hours later, those aches and pains can start to come in.
2: What should people do then? If you're not used to it. How do you prevent that from happening?
5: So I would say if you're entering into a hot yoga practice, and this is something brand new to you, start maybe with warm heat. So there are now warm classes, which run about maybe 80, 82 degrees. <laughs> so
2: there, will there be tepid yoga? soon?
5: Tepid too? yoga.
2: <laughs> <laughs> is there cold yoga?
5: <laughs> not cold, but I would say regular temperature. Okay. But definitely not cold by any means. Okay.
2: So warm, start out, you warm start up with
5: warm, warm yoga. A nice okay. warm infrared heat, maybe a yin practice, something that just kind of gets you acclimated slowly, and then start to work up towards that hot temperature. Bikram being the hottest. Right. And now there are things like Moksha, that's kind of hot.
2: Right. Moksha is a, is a brand of yoga. And there's a number yep. of studios in the city and across yep. the country where it's almost exclusively hot yoga, mm-hmm. correct?
5: Exactly. And so I would just start to really slow it down and be mindful of how you're moving, mindful of your practice, mindful of how your body is feeling, and kind of really let that ego just be checked at the door.
2: You know, I've only done hot yoga a couple times. Mm-hmm. And I found, I won't say I was going into a trance, but I found that my mind was sort of drifting more in the heat, right? You know,
5: the heat is kind of like a distraction, right? Yeah. And your yoga practice allows you to really start to be mindful and and tune out those distractions and become more aware with what's happening within. But the heat definitely can be a distraction in the beginning when you're not used to it.
2: Right. Okay. so other than obviously making sure that you don't overheat, you know, what else should we be concerned about?
5: I would say just making sure you're hydrated before the class and staying hydrated during the class because you're going to switch sweat a lot and it's a deep sweat especially the infrared heat it really pulls toxins out from a not so much a superficial layer but a more cellular layer you're going to sweat a lot so i would make sure you are really well hydrated drinking more water than you may think right and just again coming back to that mindfulness is if you feel lightheaded if you feel your heart beating rapidly come into child's pose Don't worry about what's happening in the room or what's being asked of you. It's your body. It's your practice. So just take that breather. Take that break.
2: Yeah, it's not competitive.
5: Absolutely.
2: I'm into competitive. (laughs) I'm always looking to see that my poses are better. But really, it's not about that. But really,
5: yeah, it's really just focusing on what's happening with you and not worrying about what someone's doing next to you.
2: One aspect of the infrared, because they used to market, and I don't know if they still do, the infrared saunas, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of spas have them. As a child, I had eczema. And if you have certain skin conditions, infrared can be helpful, but it can also be be problematic and for me actually I can't spend a lot of time in a sauna and I can't do a ton Mm -hmm. of time in infrared. And so for some people out there, I think that's a concern as well. If infrared has proven not to be good for you, or if you have a skin condition, you might want to reconsider.
5: And you know, it's not for everybody. It isn't. It's not, you know, you can try it out. That's why I suggest kind of doing it on a gradient. So starting with the warm heat and then working your way up and seeing if this is something that you respond well to and feel good doing, because at the end of the day, it should make you feel better than when you walked into the room, not worse.
2: Correct. Obviously you're doing it for betterment. Okay. So it's hot environment. So mm-hmm. that makes me think about the type of clothing that you would wear. Yes. And what would you recommend for somebody who's doing hot yoga? But yeah. You know. So
5: some people just wear yoga shorts and, you know, females, sports bra. I usually just go in in my standard yoga gear, maybe something a little bit lighter. You will sweat a lot. So maybe, you know, just going in with a little bit of less. Whatever you're comfortable with. But at the end of the day, as long as you are not wearing sort of like heavy, cottony kind of material, something that's breathable and that can take sweat really well is kind of what you want.
2: Okay, so we've talked about sweat. Yeah, affair, and that's the truth of it, right? Yeah. I mean, you have to be prepared to sweat a uh, lot. <laughs> yeah, so you can't be self conscious going to no. a hot yoga class. No. You can't hide in the corner. You're going to come out looking like a hot, sweaty Oh, mess.
5: yeah, it's going to be a hot mess and just. Own it. And like the sweatier, the better.
2: With sweat, traction is an issue, right? Yes. What should somebody be considering when it comes to the sweat levels and, and the practice?
5: Yeah, there are yoga type towels that you can lay on top of your mat that will help absorb the sweat and help keep you gripped onto that mat. And then there are certain mats that are designed to really handle a vinyasa practice where there is more sweat involved and create that traction. But I would say the yoga towel is probably one of your best bets.
2: Right. And also, I think you just have to be aware any sort of physical activity where there's the potential to slip mm-hmm. is a potential for injury. So you just yep. kind of, you just have to make sure that you're being mindful yes. about the possibility, yep, right? Absolutely. Okay, so let's sort of move on to one other aspect of the sweat. Okay. And, and that is some people, when they get sweaty, they get a little bit stinky. Right? Okay.
5: <laughs> right? <You> know, it's, <laughs> that it's, is true. It is
2: true. For right? getting
5: all those toxins out yeah. and with that, yep.
2: What would you recommend? Just kind of live with it or, or what can we do? Yeah,
5: the whole idea is kind of like flushing all, all these toxins out of our body. So I would say also the way that you can actually over over a long period of time, reduce body odor is by changing the diet and eating a nice clean diet. So there are less toxins going in the body, taking a shower beforehand, using a deodorant. Obviously, we don't really want to put on a deodorant that's going to seal the sweat glands because that can put the toxins back into the body. So finding a natural deodorant, there's tons on the market right now that I do love. And honestly, the biggest kind of advice that I could say is just be mindful of what you put into your body.
2: We've certainly made hot yoga sound sexy with 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 the slipping the stench and the sweat a lot of sweat yeah it's really glamorous right
5: absolutely
2: well thank you for coming in today we're going to be sure to have you back again would you like to come back to the oh, show I
5: would love to a pleasure
2: fantastic and thank you for listening to The Tonic you can download this episode as a podcast on zoomerradio.ca and thetonic.ca please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss the natural treatment of sexual dysfunction entertaining outdoors medical marijuana and the boomers and more mindfulness. Until then, this is Jamie Bussin wishing you a healthy and happy week.
3: Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.